In episode 4.1 of Unshuffled, we discuss Opus Eponymous, the first album by modern hard rock giants Ghost. Give it a listen, then listen to us as we unpack it track by track. But first, as always, here's Seven Planets. Scotty D, I am here for our podcast. Let's begin. Wow, that was—you knew that was coming, didn't you? That was inspired. Yeah. Um, well, hey, Matt, that was a uh, that was that was great. That was—I guess I—I I was half tempted to start chanting Lucifer. Um, <laughs> that was. Uh, so here we are. We are album one of, of Ghost. We are here. This is, this is our fourth season, right? This is our fourth uh, season, yeah. Episode 4.1. So, so I got to ask, first impressions. I, when, I, when I say first impression, I don't mean what's your impression now. What was your first impression? My first impression... The first time I pressed play on the CD we're discussing today, which is Opus Eponymous by Ghost, the first word that popped into my head, I got through that organ intro, and then uh, the second song, Conclave Condio, started, and the very first word that popped into my head, and I'm not lying, was, huh. <laughs> what was your first impression? In my head, in my head, like all everything was telling me we were going down the avenue of King Diamond. Mm-hmm. That was just right. Even even that opening track, I'm like, all right, okay, I know where this is going. <laughs> and then that second track kicks in, and it's all of a sudden it's this realization that I I have I have no idea where this is going. This is not. <laughs> Going anywhere remotely near where I thought this was going. Yeah, it was a real moment of cognitive dissonance, wasn't it? With just and even though we'd kind of read about them and we should have known we were expecting not King Diamond, you know, not Merciful Fate. We should have known we were getting something different. But yeah, it was it was a very jarring moment for me. And I so my first listen was like, oh, uh, okay, all right. I guess this is where we are. Um, and that was my first listen. And But the whole time I was like, this something about this band has, has captured, well, James Heffield. I mean, something about this band has captured the, the music, the metal world. And so I started seeking out live footage, right? Just wanted, what, I wanted, what is this band doing live? Mm. And it, that made all the difference. And, and, okay. and we can talk about all of this as we get later, but it's, it was when I started seeing that, I'm like, I, I think I get this. I okay. definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll talk more about how my thinking about the band developed once we get into some more detail. We probably should introduce ourselves, though, at this point. So we are Unshuffled. This podcast is 
our attempt to bring back the album. We're doing it by choosing a band we should have, we know we should have listened to, but we haven't got around to. We're starting with their first album. We're exploring each track one at a time, and then we're moving on to the second album and the third and so on. So we're hearing the whole career arc of the bands that we choose. We're on to our fourth band now, which is incredible in itself. The band we've chosen is Ghost. Now, can you remind our listeners, please, Scotty D, why it was we chose this band? Because I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) They were on my list. I was, I've been hearing so much about this band that I've, I've, I'm curious. I want to know what's pull, what's the pull mm. sort of, and, and, and they were on my list and we, and in fact, I remember what you said when I said it, you said, ah, yes, ghost. I knew yeah, we'd well, get to this band sooner or later. Cause so you, you had similar thoughts. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't open a metal web page or magazine without seeing this band's name somewhere. Anytime there's a list of best albums, best bands of the recent, you know, 10, 20 years, this band's name pops up with incredible regularity. So they've captured the attention of the metal press. They've captured James Hetfield and so many other luminaries of the heavy music scene, mentioned this band, have toured with this band, as a metal or hard heavy music fan, you can't ignore this band. And we've managed to, to this point, but I think we both agreed it was time to just see what the hell this was all about. Speaking of James Hetfield, have you seen the footage of him air drumming at a ghost show? No, but... Uh, I'll, 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 fi- I'll find it and link it. It's, it's amazing. You, know, you have that, that moment of, of realizing that James Hetfield, he, he's one of us. He, he dances like I do at a concert. <laughs> <laughs> It was, it, was a, it was a unifying experience for us. <laughs> yeah, good. We probably should start by just giving the album details and discussing the artwork and, and all those things that we normally do. So, so here we if go. you could lead us off that, that pro, if you could lead that process off for us, please. Opus Eponymous was released on October 18th, 2010, produced by Gene Walker, who we now know as Tobias Forge. Uh, recorded at White Light Studio, which is in their, I think their hometown of Linkoping, Sweden. I know I didn't say that right. Yeah, I think, um, I've heard him say it. It sounds more like Lanchoping. Okay. And then as far as labels, I've got two, two different labels coming up, Manfire Recordings and Rise Above Records. Uh, I don't know if it's just sort of a European distribution, American distribution thing or started on one, ended up on another. I didn't get those details. Um, My understanding is that Manfire uh, isn't the label, but it's something about the studio or something to do with the recording of the album was Manfire, but the release and distribution is Man's Ruin. Man's Ruin, of course, is a very uh, well-known label in the stoner music scene. I believe it was... Who's the owner of Man's Ruin? Lee Dorian? Yeah. Yes. Who was a, a well-known musician himself and, and a, a really popular kind of underground label. Because he has a great story. There's a great interview with him where he talks about sort of the first time he saw the photos mm. for what Ghost was going to be. So, yeah, you're absolutely right on that. Now we come to the lineup. <clears throat> I have no idea how to approach this. Here's what I know. 
the only thing that has been disclosed, but it was disclosed later. So you have the original copy, but it, it's not on your copy, or you have the, the CD. But anyway, yep. so we had Tobias Forge on vocals, guitars, keyboards, um, also known as Papa Emeritus the first. The we have Gustav Lindstrom on bass and Ludwig Kenberg on drums, who make up the nameless ghouls. I don't know if we're getting names of band member band members on any of these next albums because it sounds like we weren't supposed to know the names of these guys originally. Um, no. So essentially, we have Papa Papa Emeritus and and the nameless ghouls. How we're going to do the Brownlow? I've got no idea. Um, so yeah. That 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 takes us through. Uh, that takes us through all the uh, the initial information. It is a fast moving album, thirty five minutes. Yeah, very quick. Um, I believe the mastering was done by uh, it was done offshore. I don't think that was done at the same place they recorded it. I think it was by a gentleman who lives in who lived in London at the time, uh, Je Jamie Gomez Arellano. At Orgon or Orgone Mastering, I don't know the pronunciation there. Uh, let's talk artwork. So the artwork is by someone called Basilevs or Basileus two five four, and the design is by Trident Arts. Uh, I've linked to Trident Arts in the show notes if you want to know any more about the designer. The I must say I've been bemoaning the packaging that CDs have been providing of late, but this is an example of. Some very good packaging. Uh, you get all the lyrics, which is a, a great start, even though the lyrics are fairly, generally pretty audible anyway. Uh, but there's a nice sort of evil-looking font that they use, some really nice design, some just little black and white etchings throughout. And the cover. you This cover was something that appealed to you when you first saw it, and I must say it appealed to me as well. It's a great image. Yeah. It, so before I kind of got into it, before I read that it was inspired by Salem's Lot, mm. it it felt like I definitely felt like there was a sort of this kind of Stephen Kingish pulp novel esque feel to it. Uh, this idea of the antipope kind of there in the shadows, that cathedral esque castle, the the Scooby Doo bats coming out. <laughs> um, it was I, I I really do like this cover. Uh, I really liked it when I first saw it, but having seen and compared it to the Salem's Lot poster, I, I think less of it now because it is just a rip-off and I'm surprised it, uh, it hasn't attracted some sort of legal proceedings. The They've taken the Salem's Lot poster, they've replaced what was originally, I think, a vampire's face as the shadowy figure uh, with the face of uh, Papa Emeritus. And there was originally a building in Salem's, in Salem's Lot poster that they've replaced with the cathedral in Uppsala, Uppsala Cathedral, a, a Swedish, a well-known Swedish cathedral. Yeah, that's fine. I've, I do have a problem with the fact that it's just a blatant rip-off, though. It's, it's not just an homage. It's not inspired by it. It is um, a transplant. Salem's Lot poster does not have Scooby-Doo bats. Oh, well, there you go. Saying <laughs> if anything saved them from lawsuit, it might be. Uh, right. Yeah, well, they might need you in, in court if it ever comes up. All right, should we start with track by track? Mm-hmm. 
Let's do it. So I'll take the first track. It's uh, also the easiest track. It's called Deus Culpa, which I believe translates to God's Fault. It's about, what, a minute and a half of spooky-sounding organ. I mean, all organs can sound kind of spooky, I think, uh, but this sounds especially atmospheric. It turns out, and, you know, just doing some YouTubing, this is a Swedish... Christmas carol called Bethlehem's Starna, Starna, which I believe is just you know, Bethlehem Star, a, a well-known and popular Swedish Christmas carol that they have played on the organ and then reversed it. Reversing things for some reason makes them sound evil. We we have Led Zeppelin to blame for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, I mean, it, it definitely sets the mood. It definitely establishes the, the mood of, of what this, um, of what, of what this album's going to be. Doesn't totally prepare you for the next track, but it, it does set the, the mood that's kind of at the underlying of everything. Yeah. I thought Which, it was a really effective opener, but yeah, let's, let's take us into that second track. So the, the, sec the second track is Conclave con Dio. And this is the one where I was talking about when I'd first heard it. In fact, I was jotting down notes as my first listen. It was just simply, well, this isn't quite what I was expecting. Um, but I, I, this is one where I've, I, I found a live album of theirs. And I've only, just in, in, in honor of, of the show and what we do here, I've only listened to the, the songs on the live album that are from this album. And the version of this song on this live album, which I think is from 2000, I want to say 17, is so good. And it has completely clouded now how I hear the recording of the song, right? I hear, I completely hear the potential for what this song has. It's so, I mean, the, the, the recorded version here is, is good. It's fine. I mean, I do, the drums, uh, the guitar, the way it all works together, the bass is a little buried, but then you get to the live version and everything is the, there's just a monster bass and a monster drums and it's so anthemic. And I, I can hear the making of that here. Mm. Um, but, and, and it's got kind of a, there's a bit of a bounce to it, right? Kind of bit of a, a bit of a dance to the evil, which is. Yeah. Well, I think part of that comes from the time signature. So here they call it a sped up waltz. It's I think, 12.8 is a better description of what it is. Um, but, yeah, so that, I think, gives it a little, that bouncy feel. And, yeah, I, I, I really like the big, fat bass line that it opens with. You know, I imagine if, if they've amped up the sound on that live version, that would sound great, that the very first part of this, that, that opening bass line. Uh, and I really like this sort of crazy keyboard sound that comes in over the top uh, fairly early in the song. So, yeah, at this point, I'm sitting up and taking notice. I have said, huh, and now I'm like, oh, this is something new. This is something that I haven't really heard before. Part of that, I think, is just because their influences are not bands that I've listened to a lot in the past. So whether it's really truly new or it's just new for me, I think it's more likely to be the latter. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, apart from the slightly unusual time signature, it's not some, it's not like Tool or something, but it's you know a little bit different. Uh, it's a fairly straightforward song structure, though. 
you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, kind of, you know, solo to, towards the end and then a chorus to finish. So the actual structure of the songs is very simple. What do you think of the vocals? I guess I was going to talk about that later. Um, mm. The vocals have, since I've listened to it, where we stand now, the vocals have grown on me a lot. And actually, I think the vocals fit what he's doing here uh, very well. In the beginning, though, I was drawing these comparisons to like a dark, weird owl. <laughs> it was like, a, like you know, like dark Mark Mark Lanigan had like those dark Mark albums. I think I wrote yeah. down Mal Al, like Evil Al, somewhere. <laughs> it was it was kind of I had that feeling at some point. It's sort of the same range, same register. Um, but but that was that that was the initial listen. Uh, I, I do I the the lyrics have, have grown on me. They're not they're not initially menacing. Mm. Which, which one would expect from sort of this type of performance, I guess. But they fit. I do think they fit. And I know yeah. that he he didn't want to be the singer. No. And just on the lyrics, he, yeah, you're right. He didn't want to be the singer. He wanted to play guitar and hang around up the back smoking cigarettes, I think he said. But um, no one, he couldn't get anyone else to sing, so he had to step up. With that in mind, I think he does quite quite a good job and I'm guessing he's going to improve as most vocalists do. I think uh, lyrically, I think he's trying to make a pun here. This is not an original thought. I read this on a review or something. Conclavi. So if you put those two words together, con and clavi, it's conclaves and conclaves are the groups of people that choose a pope. So I think there's a, and clavi is the Latin word for nails. So I think he's trying to make a pun that it's supposed to be with nails, with God is what I think he's trying to call the song, but clave is a Latin word, and the rest of the lyric, the, the rest of that title is in Italian. So I don't think the pun kind of works. Like I can see that there might be a pun in there, but I think he's had to kind of stretch it too far for it to be funny or like it's just like, oh, yeah, I can see what he was trying to say there, but it didn't quite come off for me. Um, I like the Nostro di Oscuro, and I, I like the way the voice change in, changes into that sort of priestly chanting when he's singing that part. I think that's effective. Mm. So that uh, it does sound like something you might hear in a church. And I think, you know, as an opening song, that's a very effective way, you know, very, very effective thing to do. And the music matches that too. The rhythm kind of go, falls into that. It changes. And that's the thing. There's so many signature changes here, right? And just in rhythmic changes throughout the song. And so where it sort of maybe starts as kind of this waltz, it does kind of pick up the intensity, picks up especially in that part as the chanting sort of prevails. So the next song is track three, which is called Ritual. Coming off Conclave Condio, I think it's set things up really well here. I'm looking forward to this next track at this point. We start with a rock kind of straightforward rock guitar riff, just the guitar and a closed hi-hat, really effective opening. It builds up and up and you think, what's coming, what's coming? And you get the Symphony of Destruction riff by Megadeth. Hmm. Dun-dun-dun. Like... At this point, I'm thinking, hang on, is Dave Mustaine going to jump in here? You take a mortal man. Again, there's being influenced by, there's paying 
homage to and then there's ripping off and i think this is on the ripping off end of the spectrum i guess the argument in their defense would be it's such a simple riff anyway that you know it's just one note so how, how can you say we rip that off when it's just a, a one note riff but to me it was just a little too familiar for comfort um so then we get a verse there now one really effective thing that they do is the first time they sing the chorus in this song they only give us half the chorus it's a super catchy chorus but we only get half and we and the, one of the cleverest lyric devices on the album is when he says from the altar bedouins and nomads so the, the full in the full verse it's from the altar bed but when he gets to bed first time around, he jumps back into a verse and, and it's Bedouins and Nomads. So that is clever. I thought, yeah, I've got to give you credit for that, Papa. Um, so that was really effective at building anticipation and it's so catchy. I mean, I was singing this almost that night, I think, I was singing this chorus. So the first thing I wrote down is, am I wrong? Is there a Megadeth happening here? Um but the the whole the the melodies the it, it's all just so it's far more soaring and and even diverse than I had expected. It does take that yes yes that the that's that's got to be symphony of destruction right, yeah. and but but even then kind of what's done around it right how it changes how it shifts it doesn't just stay that one thing from start to finish. It's certainly not a ripoff of that song. It's just that one riff that. Uh, right, right. Um, and then there is those sort of that that haunting keyboards that that's it's in. The, so even if a song is shifting keys, right, which it seems like there seems there's an element of minor keys happening to all of these songs, but there does seem to be a mix of sort of minor keys and major keys. But even as it's like as a song kind of starts to get more sunshiny there's still always that haunting kind of layer of something kind of kind of keeping us connected to these scooby-doo bats on the cover <laughs> um and some big harmonies too i i'm sure you notice the vocal harmonies especially in the chorus and the one phrase that stuck out to me when we get to the full chorus was unholy bastard which <laughs> I've known a few of those in my time. Uh, um, of course, then we, we also get the, this sort of prayer bit, this riff off the Our Father prayer, Our Father, but a satanic version of that, which was the heaviest part of the song. And it ends with, I, I believe it is something that Satanists say, which is Nemar, which is amen backwards. Again, the idea that for some reason, if you... Do something backwards, it becomes scary. I think Nema, even if it's something that Satanists say, I mean, it's just silly to me. Anyway, but... it, it does sound like a Disney fish, doesn't it? <laughs> Nema, <laughs> finding Nema. Um, but yeah, a nice, really melodic guitar solo. The guitar solo is simple but uh, effective. I like the melody in the guitar solo. And, you know, at this stage, I'm pretty happy with this album so far. I think, yeah, okay, another really good song. Uh, which leads us to track four, which is Elizabeth. Or Elizabeth. Or Elizabeth. But the thing is, is so here's our obligatory Elizabeth Bathory song, right? If you're going to be a scary band writing scary songs, then uh, you might as well get your Elizabeth Bathory song out of the way on the first album. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's catchy. 
Um, it's it's a little bit darker, uh, but I guess so's the the content. This is this is a good song, but I felt like sort of the first two, or I guess the second and third track stood out, and this is where I felt like the album maybe took a bit of a dip. Yeah, I agree. I I, I agree with you. There was a a heaviness in the opening, a quite metallic almost. You know, the opening stanza of this song is perhaps the most metallic they've sounded so far. But then in the chorus, as a contrast, you have what I th- I've called it an ELO moment. <laughs> when they sing Bathory, I, the band that popped into my head was Electric Light Orchestra. It's like, Bathory! <laughs> and it's like, my God, what the hell? Again, so dissonant, so unexpected to hear that after that heavy evil opening to, to get ELO in the chorus was, was quite, again sort of shocks you, you know. I have rewritten one of the verses, if you'd like to hear my version of it, the Her Pact with Satan uh, verse. I've rewritten, with some, well, I think, some better lyrics. So if you'd, if you'd like to just bear with me for yeah, a moment. the bridge, isn't it? Take it to the bridge, man. <laughs> yeah, it is the bridge. So uh, the original was Her Pact with Satan and all these horrible things that she did makes her one of us. But I've changed it uh, to suit the band a little bit better, I said, uh, I think. You ready? I'm ready. Her extreme narcissism, her overblown skincare regimen, her willingness to go to ridiculous lengths to achieve notoriety makes her one of us. You like it? <laughs> Should I write to Tobias? <laughs> Not too subtle. <laughs> uh, but uh, if Elizabeth says, uh, I'm just going for my bath, you better run. <laughs> uh, is it too soon to make jokes about Elizabeth Bathory? No, I think the statute of limitations is passed on that one. Okay, so the next song is Stand By Him. Now, this is the very first ghost song in terms of when it was written. This is the song that he wrote before he wrote any other ghost songs. He called it a funny song when he was telling his friend about it. I just wrote this funny song. I want to come to your place and record it. And I think there's something in that funny song phrase that I want to just explore a little bit later on. I like this song, though, especially the, the opening. That The drums open it, a really driving beat, and then a killer riff. Again, simple, but, you know, it's dual guitar. I mean, it's just him, I think, playing on both, both the left and right ear, but a really effective interplay between the two that brings a lot of power to that riff. So one sort of keeps playing a rhythm while the other plays a more melodic part. There are some silly lyrics in this song. There's the Night of the Witch chorus with some falsetto harmonies. Tonight. Really catchy again. Heavy middle section, some sort of almost thrashy drums and keyboard. And then we almost repeat the song again. So we go back to that opening riff and repeat from the start. There's another one of those lovely melodic guitar solos. This one's doubled near the end and a keyboard fades out. So... Again, simplicity is the dominant theme here. This is a simple riff, a simple song song structure, and a really catchy chorus with some some harmony. So, you know, if I had to pick the quintessential ghost song, at least off this album, I'd, I'd probably point to this one. This is what ghost is at its essence. A good song. I agree, a good song. Um, A quote I had read, though, said something different and it said 
Um, here's the quote. I said that this is probably the most heavy metal riff that has ever existed. When the chorus came to me, it haunted my dreams. Every time I picked up the guitar, I ended up playing that pro progression. And so he and heard this, and he was working at some call center hmm. and was hearing this rhythm, this sort of play over in his head as he was just mindlessly sketching what would become the ghost uh, font or logo. Mm -hmm. And... And I, that was, for me, that was what triggered where if he thought that like just the use of the word haunting and this the heaviest riff he's ever heard, which, all right, I'm, I'm not sure on that, but, <laughs> uh, but I, I, I get where if that, if that's sort of the foundation he's coming into this, where that laid sort of the groundwork for everything that's come after did Tobias Forge and like he'd been in several bands. He had no way of knowing that this was going to be the one that was going to shoot off to international stardom, right? right? He'd been in countless bands. Had he known, would he have still picked this motif? Because now he's he's stuck, right? Right. I mean, I, Ghost can't put out a, an acoustic love album. It's just right. I mean, it's not going to work. It's they they have a thing now, and they're they're sort of they kind of have to, I feel, have to follow this trajectory. And did, did it come from, from this song? Is the whole, this whole thing inspired by what he felt as he, was, as he was writing the song? With that said, I agree with you. I do like it. It is catchy. It's, it's simple, but it's not that simple, right? I mean, it's, it's, what I really like is how they, they've broken that verse, chorus, verse sort of pattern right he, he he gives attention to the the pre-choruses and the choruses and the bridges and the verse and and, and each does sort of have its own the the dynamics change and, the, and there are changes as all of these are happening and mm. this song is it's 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 kind of fun it's kind of i don't know one of the best ways i can describe it it is a fun song i agree so okay, so then this takes us to track six, which is Satan, Satan's prayer, mm -hmm. and this is the moment I think where I finally stopped it, and uh, and I think it was where he, like the first line is anyway. There's the the chanting of the, the Satan Almighty, and I stopped it, and I was like, okay, wait, this is funny, right? <laughs> was was kind of where I was at, and. It just, it was the mix again of this juxtaposition of the lyrics with the sound. Mm. Here I had this other, it was like a, it, it's like a, a dancey pop thing with metal infusions. There's like this post thrash feel to it, right? Kind of, there, there's underlying, what goes back to when we were talking about with, with Megadeth, sort of where those, those early thrash bands, kind of where they ended up in sort of the late 90s, early 2000s, sort of the sound that they had. I feel like there's elements of that in, in the verse, the, the chorus, there's like this space church organ laser thing that comes in there. I mean, there's a lot going on. And the bass. I do like the sound of the bass in this, in the mix of this song, especially. Yeah, it's a very bass-driven song. So, yeah, what we've got here is a satanic version of the Nicene Creed, which is, you know, growing up a Catholic, this was something that I instantly recognised 
what they'd done. They'd taken that uh, Christian uh, creed and, and satanized it, I suppose. The problem I was having, and th this is the point where this starts to wear a little thin, this whole shtick starts to wear a little thin. Up to this point, the songs have been so strong that I'm like, oh, this is good. But at this point, I don't feel like this is a strong song. It's a slower bass-driven song. And the lyrics are just piling up now where I'm just getting to the point where starting to feel like this is just a, getting a bit silly for me. I'm not sure I can go on this journey with this band if much longer if they keep this up. An example is, and, and it's written, the way it's written in the lyric sheet, you'll, you'd understand, but this coming of seed. Uh, so what's the exact lyric? Um, Hear our Satan prayer for the coming of seed. You know, it's like high school stuff. And I'm just at this point, the veil is slipping a little bit. And I'm just starting to think, man, this seems a bit silly. I'm, I'm, I feel like this is going to, this might be a struggle for me unless things turn around uh, at some point soon, was my thinking at this point. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of. It happens a lot with those new, really good new televisions where you're watching something and it's so high definition and the, the refresh rate's so fast that you loot that veil of unreality sort of slips away and you, hang, you see it and you start to think, oh, hang on, this is just a bunch of actors with makeup on in a studio. The other time that happened to me was in Game of Thrones. So I followed that series all the way through. I hadn't read the books, but I was enjoying the series. And the thing that where that slipped for me, that feeling of being there with them and buying into their stories slipped, not when the writing got ridiculous towards the end of that last series, but it slipped with that coffee cup. You remember the coffee cup? It slipped into... It was a Starbucks cup that slipped yeah. into, you know, it was a big meeting that they were having and someone had brought in a Starbucks cup and left it on the table in this, um, you know, fantasy medieval setting. I was like, and that kind of killed the illusion for me. And at that point, I was like, oh, this is just a bunch of actors and I don't really feel it anymore. I had a little bit of that with, with this song, just the silliness of the lyrics, the obviousness of what they're doing, and it just started to feel a bit high school and pantomiming at this point. I don't know if you had any similar experience or if you're still there with them. That actually comes in the next one for me. Mm. Well, tell us about it. All right, so the next one is track seven, Death Knell. And this is the one where I kind of felt like the cliches were mounting. Uh, we had the thunderstorm, uh, which leads to a pretty cool bass riff. The, the verse has sort of that dirgy, creepy, whispery thing going on. The keyboards that are there, again, the tolling of the, the bell, right? It, it just kind of, this is where, again, and... This is that part. Of, okay, it's your first album. Let's just let's just cram it all in there. Let's get all the let's get all these cliches in there. Let's just get those out of the way, and that way, you know, the next three albums we can we cannot do that. Um, that's kind of what this song felt like for me. Yeah, I mean, I generally like songs with bell chimes. There's not many bell chime songs that I haven't bought into. Hell's Bells is a great song. For whom the bell tolls. There's a lot of good bells and Black Sabbath. Um, so it wasn't the sound of the chime. Um, you can 
put that in every song if you like. I know it did it for you. It was the spelling, wasn't it? You hate spelling in songs, and at this, in one point, they spelled out <laughs> Satan's name. Was yeah, that, right. that I, the problem? I, I, that might be it. I hate spelling in songs, and I hate math in songs. I hate when they're like one and one makes two. You and you know whatever. I hate math and spelling in songs. That might have been it. That might. Well, have this had six six six, so maybe that was enough math for you. <laughs> and then. Again, there's a silly lyric. So they have 666 first time around, but then they change it second time to sex, sex, sex. Again, what are, what, are you in grade 9, grade 10? What is this? So again, I quite like the doomy sound in this. I like the bell chime. Some okay moments in this song, but again, that spell has kind of broken for me at this point, and this song hasn't helped get it back, I've got to say. So let's move on to the next one, Prime Mover. Now, let me just start this by saying this is not the brilliant song Prime Mover by Zodiac Mind Warp. You familiar with that one? I'm not. Oh, I'll link to it in the show notes. You've got to look at that. Uh, well, I love TV and I love T-Rex is the opening line. Great song. Again, a kind of parody song. It's kind of That's an evil song as well. It starts with a spaceship with this sort of leather-clad biker-looking band, uh, a spaceship flying to Earth and crashing through the stained-glass window of a convent and, and jumping out and, and playing their song to the, to the nuns, waking them up and, and playing their song. That's brilliant. This song, too, has a great opening, I thought, really heavy opening. That bass, again, I, I like the bass throughout this. I quite like the sound of it, and it, uh, it does drive a lot of the songs on this album. Again, the lyrics, man, the lyrics are killing it for me. There is a lyric in here, a varicose phallus. I, I heard that and I just thought, mate, you got to see a doctor. <laughs> that sounds painful. <laughs> Musically, I don't mind it, but at this point, well, well beyond this point, I was just hoping for something to sort of get me back into the vibe and get me feeling it again, but it wasn't this song. And again, it was the silliness of the lyric, I think, that acted again as that coffee cup from Game of Thrones that kind of broke it for me. It's like, oh, yeah, all right. Maybe I could like it, but I don't. I'm sorry. This one, I like the, again, I, I agree with you. I like the bass. I like the, there is still that, and I, I, for lack of a better term, I guess I'm calling it post-thrash. There's still like this post-thrash sound. There's a sound in the guitars that is very familiar to me, and I can't place exactly what it is. And you've, you've kind of hit it all there. The, the lyrics, are, lyrics are ridiculous. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, which leads us into Genesis, which is an instrumental. So this is the last. I don't know if you have their version of Here Comes the Sun. Uh, I don't. No, not on so the that, CD, but I have listened to it. Okay, I haven't heard it. Um, I, so this is this is where my notes end. Yeah. Uh, but it it kind of has that. I like this, by the way. I did like this song. It had had sort of that the video game opening that kind of. I couldn't tell if it was a sort of a, a melding of guitar and keyboards, or if it was just keyboards. And I really, and I like the, I like sort of that kind of how it, how it begins, but then how it sort of goes out on that acoustic Spanish guitar ending, which I think the last Gojira album went out on that same sort of totally different reasons, but went out on sort of that Spanish acoustic Spanish guitar ending. 
Is this the heaviest song on the album? I don't know if it's the heaviest. It's to me, it had a bit of a proggy sound that the keyboard was quite 70s almost. Uh, we're back, interestingly, we're back into 12 8 for this one. So we started, oh, Conclavi Condio was in 12 8, and we finished with a 12 8 song to sort of bookend the album, if you like. This was my favorite song on the album, actually, partly because I was so sick of the silly lyrics at this point that it was just a relief to get an instrumental. So that was part of the reason for it. But I also liked the galloping drums. I thought it had a nice flow to it. So, and, and once it got into its sort of crescendo, there was some really nice swirling guitar sounds, some layered guitars. And I really liked that acoustic outro. If anything, I thought maybe the song could have gone a bit longer and maybe gone back into a heavy finish. Perhaps it felt a little, felt like it finished a little bit prematurely. But when the guitar, the heavy guitar's there, it's a really big sound. And that acoustic bit was probably the most heartfelt moment on the album, I thought. And, I, you know, I've heard interviews with Tobias done a lot later than this album where he speaks about his love of Swedish folk and a lot of influences outside of hard rock and I feel like maybe that's where his heart truly lies and I just want to unpack that a little bit in my overall thoughts on the album but have you got any more thoughts on Genesis? Well, I do so it's it's the last song on the album but it's called Genesis which mm. is right sort of interesting and and I found something that's and I I don't even know if I can fact check this or I found it on, I think I was looking up lyrics or something somewhere. I'll find it. And they suggested that this song was the, was to represent the birth of, or the coming of Papa Emeritus the second. Mm. So this is, this is the song where we, we move from, from Papa E number one to Papa E number two. Yeah, and the next album cover has a picture of an infant on the front, so perhaps that's, you know, there's the link there. Okay, shall we move into our overall thinking? So, yep. I mean, it sounds, you know, generally we started, we both started going, yeah, great stuff, great stuff, and we lost our enthusiasm. In the, oh, I didn't say my favorite. Yeah, which one's your favorite? I think Rich, it was, it, mine was, uh, Genesis was up there for me as well, but I think I think Ritual uh, yeah. that's that's the other one that I heard them do live on that live album, and it's yeah. oh, again, it's so good. Yeah, well, the big three in terms of catchy live songs would be Conclavi, Ritual, and Stand By Him. I'm thinking they would be the standout lyrical tracks. To me, Genesis was the one that stood out as being a bit different to the others. But, yeah, certainly any of those three songs, were, they were all excellent songs, I thought, and, and great examples of the style that he was trying, you know, well-executed, this is, you can see what he's trying to do there really, really clearly. Overall thoughts? I, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm in. I'm, 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 I'm intrigued and I'm in. I, I totally, totally get your frustration and where you're having these moments of, oh, I don't know if I can do four albums of this. But hearing some of the more recent live versions of these songs, I'm really excited to just, I know that there are lineup changes and it seems like the musicianship that's going to come into play here um, is, is going to, to definitely get, and I, and I have, I have zero complaints about the musicianship on this album, by the way, but it sounds like it's, it's going to get, it's going to get better. 
I'm intrigued by what is happening here. This whole, uh, it's, it's a performance. It's, it's, it's a performance piece. There's a story. It, it, it unfolds. I'm, I'm curious to know how the story unfolds. Where does it go? I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that he's catering to a metal audience and half the songs in here kind of just get you moving and make you want to dance. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by all of this. And I, and I am, I was, I was actually really ready when we had discussed to, to, to get this podcast recorded because I I'm ready to move on to the, to the second album. Not so much because I'm tired of listening to this one, but I'm really intrigued to know what's coming next. Hmm. Yeah, me too. Look, I am looking forward to the next album. I want to hear it too. I, I want to start my thoughts by addressing some of the theories. Now, this band does polarise audiences. A lot of There's a lot of backlash against this band, and there are a lot of different theories or a few different theories about why this band suck, in inverted commas. The first one I've heard is, well, they're not metal. And my reaction to that is, well, no, they're not metal. And... You, if you're so narrow-minded that the only music you like is metal and you're not going to like anything outside the genre, then, I mean, that kind of sucks, right? I mean, how sad. A, lo a lot of music that I love is not metal. We've spoken about some of the things we listen to and we're not listening to heavier music already and our audience will know some of the other things that we like. So, you know, let's... That is a valid thing to say. It's certainly not metal. I don't argue with that. It's not metal. But I don't think that's a bad thing, and I don't think that's a reason to dislike the band. Uh, I've also heard another criticism, another criticism is, well, he's a bad singer. And there's perhaps some element of truth to that. I suspect, and one of the th reasons I want to listen to the future albums, I suspect he's going to get better. As we both, as you pointed out, he didn't want to sing on this album. I think he does a pretty bang-up job, really, given that it's not something that he's ever wanted to do. I'd, he wouldn't have thought of himself as a vocalist before he recorded this. And, you know, he, I think he does a good job. And I especially like the way he harmonises his own voice, I think. But, you know, he's got an ear for a harmony that works and he knows when to use it. So I don't have a problem with the singing either. And, of course, if you like metal but you're going to criticise someone for being a bad singer. I mean, that wipes out 85% of the genre, right? So that's not my problem with the band either. I, there are a lot of good moments on this, and I think I, I'm not regretting our choice. This is, some, this is a phenomenon. This is, it's important to understand this band. I would always be wondering about them if we hadn't done this, if we hadn't taken the time to listen. And I have enjoyed many of the songs of this on this album, and I'm happy to stick with them on the next album. I do have some problems, though. My biggest problem coming out of this after two weeks is I would summarise under the broad heading of authenticity. I'm not sure this feels completely authentic to me. Too often that veil comes down and ruins the illusion for me, and I spoke about that, you know, the coffee cup effect. My question would be to Tobias... Papa, look me in the eye and tell me, are you really making what you think is the best possible music you can make? 
and I've heard him interviewed and I've heard him speaking about songs that can bring you to tears and some of this Swedish folk music that he grew up listening to that was so emotional, it was almost painful to listen to. That's what I'd like to hear him play. I feel like this is a little bit too cynical, a little bit too calculated and a little bit fake. Part of what you want when you invest in an artist or you know, a musical artist in particular is to feel like they're invested themselves and that they believe in what they're doing. And that's what I, one of the things I loved about Gojira. Like you can't question that that is, they're in it with their heart and their soul. I'm not sure Tobias is doing that. The lyrics are part of the problem with that. They're part of that, you know, there's a lot of siri, silly, not quite infantile, but certainly juvenile lyrics in this. I'm expect, and, and they're just a bit too obvious as well, the lyrics, I'm expecting that to change. But yeah, I mean, you, you know, thinking outside of music, you think of Jackson Pollock. Now anyone can splash paint on a canvas and say, look, I'm a, I've done a Jackson Pollock. But part of the story of Jackson Pollock's paintings is he's walked on those paintings in his bare feet. He's crushed glass. There's his blood in some of those paintings. Like his heart was in that. So it's as much about the heart of the artist as it is about the end product. This feels like, but using that word product, this feels like a product to me. This feels like something that Mr. Forge has produced in the hope that people will buy it. It's hard to buy in when you feel like the artist themselves hasn't completely bought in. And yeah, I've seen live footage and even live, I'm not sure he's completely invested. I, you know, is it Papa Emeritus or is it a skinny, pale Swedish guy with a rubber mask on just feeling like I'm not sure I want to be up here? Let's see where it goes. I'm willing to give them another chance and, and I'm not, I haven't completely, completely written them off yet. I suspect and you're looking at they're going to get more money now. I suspect the production values are going to increase. I suspect... There's a lot of pressure on this band. This, you know, maybe it was just no expectation that this would go anywhere. So let's not worry too much about our fourth, fifth, and sixth best songs on this album. Let's just throw them on and get it out. Maybe the next album, there's a little bit more heart and soul into it. I don't know. I'm willing to give it a try. Of course. I mean, we have to have started the journey now. We have to finish it. But you know, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Your your response to all that. I I think that was. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I don't. I don't disagree. Um, I do say I I would be surprised if he thought that this was going to go on to be a money-making machine, though. I, I, do, I do wonder if that – I wonder if this wasn't something that he was just here was now his eighth band. I guess I'm going to try this. And then all of a sudden this seemed to be the one that took, and now mm. he's sort of stuck in this. Mm. He's created this. and that, But to your point, I, I would absolutely like to hear – his voice what does he what does he have to say i would love to hear you know maybe okay so now you have he has his money making thing okay so now where's the side project i'd like to hear him sing in swedish Mm. he probably has the opportunity now to do something like that i hope perhaps he, he takes that chance because people will listen now if he puts out a swedish folk album so this might be you know what every artist dream of the opportunity to just have a free hit at something you've always wanted to do maybe he'll take that i don't know but uh yeah i maybe i'm being too harsh maybe i'm reading too much into it maybe he really does believe in this 
ban and it's more than just a cynical exercise for him. I, I, ne I need to be convinced on that. Yeah, no, fair enough. Let's, let's see what they do with uh, album number two. All right. Uh, well, let's move on to the band Brownline. Now, as you said in the early part of this podcast, this is going to be very tricky. May I make a suggestion? Given that Tobias Forge um, wrote, played most of the instruments and um, sort of masterminded the whole thing, shall we both agree that he should get the three votes on this album? I was wondering, like, do we identify just the instrument? Yeah. Like, does bass... Because I would be way to do it. All right. So then, well, for this one, I think we have an A. Gustav Lindstrom is the bass player for this one. All right. But yeah, let's oh, do it. With this band, let's just go bass, keyboard, drums, vocals, guitar. All right. Because it's just going to be Tobias, 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 and it's going to be boring. So yeah, let's do that. I am going to give, I'm going to give lead guitar three. I'm going to give. Bass two. I'm just going to give guitar three. I'm not. I won't specify lead guitar. Yeah. There's not enough instances where there's separation. I think. Yeah. Yep. Let's call it guitar. Um, okay. And now I'm torn between drums one or vocals one, because the vocals fit. The vocals. This. This has the vocals. It just. The drums are good. I can't knock if the drums anything. Hmm. But this. They're straight. I mean, they're straightforward. Yeah. All right. Vocals sorry, one. Sorry, I talked you out of it. Nah, uh, uh, all right. So I'm going to give bass three. Even though you argued they were buried, it was buried in the mix a little bit. I just thought there were plenty of moments where the bass really drove the song, and that opening bass line just set the whole album up for me, or set the first part of the album up for me at least. Uh, I'm going to give vocals too, even though I acknowledge their weaknesses. I really like the harmonising, you know, in a lot of the choruses. That's what gives it its catchiness. That word catchiness is interesting too, isn't it? It's amazing how many metal fans all of a sudden think catchiness is something that is, you know, musicians should should strive for. Um, anyway, that's a that's a. And aside, I'm going to give one vote to the keyboards just because why not? We've never had the chance to do that. And, yeah, some moments where those keyboards really set them apart as something different, including in that Conclave Condio opening song and in the last song, Genesis, which I also really enjoyed. So let me give one to the keyboards. Hmm. All yeah, right, well, all right. That, uh, that just about does it for this album. Um, looking forward to the next one. Let's see where, where we go with it and... Um, Let's see if they can sort of win me back because I'm, I'm feeling a little bit like they've lost me towards the end of this album. So we'll see where, see if they can win me back on the next one or if I'm lost forever. Pressure's on, Papa E number two. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. This has been Unshuffled. You can contact us in various ways. Please note that the show notes for this episode can be found on our website, unshuffledpod.com. You can contact us through Twitter, at UnshuffledPod. You can email us using our email address, unshuffledpod at gmail.com. Big thank yous. Uh, Small Stone, thank you so much, and uh, your great band, Seven Planets, for the use of the brilliant track, Vanguard, off their great album, Explorer. Listeners, can I encourage you to go and check this band out as a great example of instrumental, groovy, fuzzy, 
Stoner Rock. Please go and have a listen, download, and enjoy. Thank you, Scott. It's been a pleasure, as always. Thank you, Matt. It's absolutely been a pleasure. And uh, thank you to, uh, to our listener. A loyal listener. Take care, everyone.